Hey, ABF, it's so good to be with you for another online service. Uh, why don't you join us for a time of worship? You hold the reins on the sun and the moon Like horses driven by kings You cover the mountains, the valleys below With the breath of your mighty wings All treasures of wisdom and things to be known Are hidden inside of your head in this fortunate turn of events you asked me to be your friend ask me to be
now into a time of communion, but before we do, I want to read to you from the book of Isaiah, chapter 53. It says this, he was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, and as one from whom men hide their faces. He was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. When we approach the communion table, we can't do it casually. And, and, and frankly, scripture does not encourage uh, those that do not have a relationship with Christ to take communion because of the seriousness of what it represents. And I was thinking about this scripture earlier today. And I just want to say this to kind of prepare our hearts for communion. We're going to sing one more song and then take together. But if you really look at the story of Christ, whatever injustice uh, there is in the world, whatever injustice there is in your life, uh, Christ has gone deeper into that injustice. He has been deeper into pain. He has been deeper into suffering, deeper into loss. Uh, and he didn't deserve any of it. He's the only one of us that didn't deserve what was coming to him. And that's kind of what makes communion so special is it acknowledges that only the perfect son of God suffering so unjustly was a sacrifice worthy of all of us of everything that's ever happened, everything that will ever happen, every sin that's ever been committed had to be covered by that. Um, so I offer that as a, as a thought, um, just to kind of get your head straight about what it is that we acknowledge when we take the bread and we take the cup. Let's sing together now in preparation. I hear the Savior say thy strength in small child of weakness watch and pray find in me thine all in all Jesus paid it all all to him I owe sin had left a crimson stain he washed it white as Change the light. 
So hopefully you have your bread and you have your cup. This represents the body of Christ. As the scripture said, it was broken for you. His body was buried, it was dead, and it was re-knit together and rose on the third day. And we can rise with him. Let us commune. Remember the broken body of Jesus Christ. This unity, this oneness that we are offered with the creator of the universe came at an extreme price because he is perfect and we use our free will to not be perfect. So this cup represents the blood of Jesus that was spilled as a sin offering for everyone that ever lived. Drink and remember him this weekend. What a sweet time of worship that was. Thank you, Chad and Erica and worship team. And um, welcome to another online service. My name is Ryan. I'm one of the elders here, and I'm just so glad to be with you this week. I've got a few announcements for you. So 
Buckle up. We're going to get into them. First of all, just a reminder that we love to be praying for you. The staff and the elder board loves to be um, just lifting up the church body as much as we can. So you can text any prayers at any time to 97,000. That's 97,000. And I thought that number was so random that I looked up a little fun fact for you. And so that you can remember it, nobody's going to remember it because of this. That is the length in kilometers. 97,000 kilometers is the length of blood vessels in the average human body. So store that in your noggin for next time you need to text your prayers to us. That's a crazy fact that nobody's going to remember. That's going to get cut from the video probably. Marriage Essentials is coming up as well. Um, Sunday, August 22nd, during the first service, that's 9 a.m. in the well. Paul and Terry Reiser are leading that. If you haven't been to a Marriage Essentials class before, you need to check it out. If you're married, planning to get married, um, any stage of marriage, there is good advice and good nuggets to take away from there. I'm speaking from experience here. Go check that out. Sunday, August 22nd. Beach baptisms are also coming up. August 29th is the next beach baptism. So if you're interested in being baptized out at Zuma, there's a registration link online. You can check that out. We are having a little class, an orientation, where we go through um, what that process looks like and what it means to be baptized. So August 22nd, there is an informational meeting between the services in the student ministry building. If you're interested, there's information online, or you can email info at agorabible.org for any questions. Awana. Registration is open for Awana. We are entering the fall. Summer is winding down and school is getting back into session. So register your kids. Awana begins September 14th. And with that, we need volunteers. So if you're interested in helping out with Awana, if you have kids in the program and you're going to be dropping them off here and helping out anyway, that would be amazing. If you're interested, um, there's a meeting coming up on Tuesday, August 31st here on campus. Information all about Awana, kids registration, volunteer information is on the website, agorabible.org. Lastly, just a couple reminders. We have social media options for you to follow along with what's going on at the campus at ABF at any given time. So check us out on Instagram and Facebook and um, yeah, just be plugged in in that way. Also, thank you for your giving. I know during the last few weeks when we've been off and on here, um, just any giving that you do um, is just a huge, makes a huge impact on the church. So we just appreciate your generosity um, during this time. Well, why don't you grab your Bibles and we'll dive into God's word together. Well, good morning, good afternoon, good evening, Agora Bible Fellowship. Whenever you're watching this, welcome to church. Uh, so, excited, so excited to be with you uh, here. Uh, and uh, I just hope and pray that as the summer is winding down, that you guys are enjoying the last days of summer. It's crazy that school is starting back. Uh, and uh, even today, I was like, oh my gosh, school is starting back. Like when I was a student, uh, it felt like summer went by. Like, it just took forever, uh, and it was great. And now as a parent, it goes by so fast. Uh, if you were seeing any of our pictures, uh, we Kerners, we were in Tennessee uh, last week, and just kind of enjoying that last trip before the summer is over. Uh, we were uh, enjoying uh, the humidity in beautiful Tennessee, visiting family. It was amazing. Uh, the week before that, uh, I was at Hume with Josh, uh, with 85 junior high and high schoolers. It was an amazing time. Uh, unfortunately, um, we've heard a lot of COVID, COVID news come out of that. Uh, fortunately, uh, myself and my son, Caleb, uh, we were in the clear, uh, and uh, that's why we went to Tennessee. Uh, but I just want to kind of give a report, uh, something positive about Hume. Uh, Hume was amazing. Uh, there was just something about uh, being 
up in God's creation, uh, up in the mountain, and just seeing our students uh, not with phones and iPads and watching Netflix, uh, but being together, uh, praying. Uh, I saw students just raising and, and praising God during worship, being in God's word, uh, just being together as a community. Uh, it was such an important time uh, for our youth ministries, and it was amazing. Uh, but we still want to continue to pray for uh, the healing and the recovering of our families that uh, did get exposed to COVID. But man, Hume, it was amazing, and I'm so thankful that we were able to get up to the mountain. So, uh, well, with that said, uh, I'm excited to continue in our new series, Stand Firm, uh, as we are in the second, uh, as in, we are in Second Thessalonians, the second letter to the Thessalonian church written by Paul. Last week, Pastor Scott uh, kicked the series off uh, with chapter one, and if you missed it or you haven't watched it yet, I encourage you to go back and watch it because it'll make uh, today uh, make a little more sense. Uh, but I love the title for this series, Stand Firm, Stand Firm. And uh, the image of Standing Firm, if you've seen on the website or, or in the bulletin, just the image of Standing Firm, the, the footprints, uh, I was thinking, well, what does Stand Firm mean? Like, what does that mean for, for me, for, for us, for, for Agora Bible Fellowship? And what image comes to my mind when I think of Standing Firm? And for me, I think about my senior year of high school basketball. And you're probably thinking, really? That's what you get out of? Well, you'll see in a second why I get that uh, standing firm basketball. It makes sense to me. Uh, so uh, one of my last games uh, my senior year uh, in Chicago, we were playing against this team that had three like top like D1 uh, prospects. And, and one of the guys, his name was Rick Cornette. Uh, Rick Cornette, I have a picture up. So if you're watching, you're going to see it. Uh, this dude is 6'8". 260 pounds, and this is in high school, 6'8", 260 pounds. He was recruited by Arizona, Stanford, Illinois, USC, uh, all these top schools. The game that I'm getting to play in, uh, Duke and UNC are there, so I'm like, maybe they'll see me, and maybe I'll have a chance. No, uh, but uh, this guy was big. I mean, look how small the ball is in his hands. So uh, we're playing against this team, and uh, there's a moment in the game, this guy's a power forward and center. I'm a 6'2", like shooting guard. There's a moment in the game where our bigs, our, our centers, uh, they get in foul trouble because they don't know how to guard this guy. They, they keep fouling him and all this uh, and, and everything. So I have to guard him. I have the next one to guard him. This guy makes me feel like a little rag doll. He's pushing me. I'm, I'm going, I'm flying. And my coach is like, stand in there, like stand firm, like be strong, like, like I'll rebound him. Like my coach actually took me out because I couldn't over rebound him. Like that didn't make any sense. But there was a moment where, uh, if you know basketball, there's free throws and, and then you have to stand kind of the next to the person who's shooting, uh, they're shooting free throws. And you have to kind of box out to get, to get the tip. And his team is shooting the free throws. So I'm down on the low post, uh, waiting, kind of squaring up, waiting to like get the rebound if it's a miss. And guess who is next to me? The guy that you just saw the picture of, Rick Cornett. He ends up playing at Notre Dame. Massive guy, 6'8", 260. And I'm sitting here, like standing here thinking, how in the world am I expected to get this rebound? This guy is massive. 
My coach is screaming at me, be strong, be wide, box him out, get the rebound, get the rebound. And I kid you not, I look over, I see his calves. His calves are bigger than my head. And I'm trying to think every single fundamental thing I've ever learned. And all of a sudden, the ball gets missed, and the free throw uh, is missed, and the ball comes bouncing out, and guess what? He jumped way over me and got the rebound, and the coach was frustrated. But this got me thinking, okay? Uh, this got me thinking this idea of standing firm, standing firm when times are really hard, when things, when things kind of seem out of our control. Uh, it was that day that I realized that a career in the NBA will never happen. Uh, fun fact about Rick, he went on and played like 15 years in uh, pro ball over at Europe, had a very successful career. But sometimes standing firm is really hard to do. Standing firm is really hard to do, especially when life gets really hard and challenging and overwhelming. overwhelming. And when this happens, unfortunately, I think we have the tendency to think that we can just try harder or, or we can pull ourselves up by our own strength rather than leaning into Christ as our power source. As our power source. And, and we're going to see in today's passage that Paul is writing to the people to remain calm, to, to endure, to, to stay true, and to remember that Jesus is their power source and our hope even in the toughest of times. To stand firm even when times become unbearable. We know from last week that Paul has received word that things have gotten worse since the first letter. Uh, persecution is on the rise. It's more intense. And, and people are now getting confused and are panicking about what is going on. So I'm going to pull out my little tour guide hat as we go through this passage. And I'm going to do my best uh, to walk us through Scripture and what I believe the Holy Spirit wants us to learn and, and uh, to, to glean from this passage. But before we dive in, uh, let's pray. Father, I thank you for a chance to just uh, dive into God's Word, Lord. I thank you for a chance to um, speak here and, and lead uh, our congregation, Lord, through uh, this uh, passage, Lord. We thank you, Lord, that you are our power source. And I pray, Lord, that this will be a great reminder uh, for us as times uh, in our life are are overwhelming and we just feel like we're not good enough or we're not capable enough to do what we're supposed to, that we can remember that you, that you are our source, Lord. I pray, Lord, that we can stand firm in knowing who you are. And uh, we are so thankful for that, Lord. We love you so, so much. It's in your name we pray. Amen. So, uh, I don't know about you, but the more I read Paul's letters to the churches, the more I learn about the transformation that Jesus did in him. I love and admire Paul's passion, his dedication, and patience with the leaders. 
in the people of this church. Honestly, it's contagious and endearing. Uh, Paul's testimony, in, in, uh, in my opinion, is one of the biggest pieces of truths of Jesus's resurrection, death and resurrection. Uh, it's amazing to see how Paul's 32nd encounter with Jesus in Acts 9 uh, took Paul from being uh, the greatest persecutor, the biggest persecutor of Christians in the world, uh, into being the biggest evangelist that the world has ever seen, the biggest church planner the world has ever seen. Uh, what a reminder that God's saving grace can take even the worst sinner and use them for his kingdom. With that being said, let's dive into chapter 2 of 2 Thessalonians. We're in verses 1 through 12 today. Uh, but before we get into it, just a little disclaimer. Just like in the book of Revelations, there, the interpretation of words in this passage, uh, the interpretation of Paul's words in this passage can be debatable. Can be debatable. I'm going to do my best to present a couple of thoughts a uh, couple of different thoughts on it, but please note that I believe that God has some tricks up his sleeve in the end uh, that no one will ever know. No one will know every single detail uh, in God's plan. Uh, we can study, research, uh, and pray, and everything else, but the biggest and most important thing to remember is that Jesus is Lord and that he will be coming back in the future, and we all need to be prepared for that. So, with that said, with that disclaimer being said, we're going to now get into uh, the passage. So uh, chapter 2, verse 1, and you might even see in there, there's like a heading, a subheading. It says, the man of lawlessness. And if you're like me, you're like, whoa, man of lawlessness, what is this? It kind of sounds like a Western movie or a villain. Don't worry, we're, we're going to tackle what that is uh, and who that is. Uh, but with that said, verse 1, here we go. <clears throat> Now concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered together to him, we ask you, brothers, not to be quickly shaken in mind or alarmed, either by a spirit or a spoken word or a letter seeming to be from us to the effect that the day of the Lord has come. So we'll pause there uh, already, right? Some interesting things are being said here by Paul. And uh, I tell my students all the time that when you're reading God's word, uh, we kind of need to be like detectives, like those detectives in those crime shows uh, that we need to put on our detective lenses to kind of like peel back some of the layers, look at the context, look at certain words and phrases and, and find other scriptures to cross-reference, to check. Because God's, uh, God's word is like an aerobics cube. There, there's so many layers. So it's important for us to kind of peel back the layers a little bit, put on our detective lenses uh, to find what in the world or at least try to find what Paul is talking about here. Uh, so a little context, I kind of already talked about a little bit, but during this time, the Thessalonians, uh, there was a persecution during this time. It was intensifying. Uh, they were seeing loved ones, spouses being taken away, beaten, tortured, persecuted, uh, the loss of jobs. Uh, they were scrambling around, hiding away. Uh, Fear and full panic mode is going on. Fear and full panic mode is going on. Their emotions are taking over their actions. They have no idea what's going on, and they're scared. We see here that rumors were being told, uh, false claims uh, were being spoken, that Paul, a rumor is being stated that Paul stated that the day of the Lord has already come. 
So rumors are being uh, passed around that Paul stated that the day of the Lord has already come. So Paul is saying, first off in this letter, in this chapter, Paul is saying, beware of false claims, either by spoken word or spirit or letter seeming to be from us. Paul is saying, it's not me. It's not me. Beware of false claims. You see as a sub point that just popped up, beware of false claims. That was true then, 2,000 years ago. And I would say it's true for us now. Beware of false claims. There is wisdom in who we seek news, counsel, and advice and information from. I don't think anyone would disagree that this couldn't possibly be more true or more relevant for us today when it seems impossible to find a truthful source of news. I was looking at some stats uh, just the other day, stats regarding trusting the U.S. mass media. It says that 9% in the U.S. trust mass media a, a great deal. So 9% U.S. in the U.S. trust mass media a great deal. 31% of the U.S. trust mass media a fair amount. 27% trust mass media not very much. And then 33% of the U.S. does not trust uh, mass media at all. 33% of our population does not trust mass media. That's really scary. It's really sad to see that our U.S. population, more than a third of it, doesn't, um, they don't know where to get reliable truth from. They don't know where to get reliable news from. So where do we find truth? And who do we seek to trust it's important that we find truth, uh, truths in, in these forms. The first one is that we need to know our Bible inside and out. We need to know our Bible inside and out. That needs to be our filter. That's the first thing. The second one is that we need to seek the Holy Spirit for discernment. We need to seek the Spirit for discernment. And the last one is that we need to have godly friends and people in our lives to lean into for wisdom. I believe that misinformed information and non-biblical wisdom can lead to distorted truths and misguided information. So we need to be aware, be aware. So moving into Paul's refer, uh, what Paul is referring to in verse 1, when he says, Now concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered together to him, here it's kind of up for interpretation of what is actually going on here and why Paul is writing this. Uh, but there are two main thoughts, two main thoughts. And the first one is this. They, the Thessalonians, thought that they were in the last days. They thought they had missed the rapture. So when Paul is talking about being gathered up quickly to him, referring to the rapture, possibly, uh, they thought they missed the rapture. Fear, chaos, panic, and persecution caused them to doubt and to question things that they knew already from what Paul has taught them before. So they're basically asking questions like, did Jesus come in the middle of the night like a thief, like Paul stated would happen in 1 Thessalonians 5, verses 1 through 4? I have it up on the screen. It says uh, this in 1 Thessalonians. Paul writes, Now concerning the times and the seasons, brothers, you have no need to have anything written to you. For you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying, there is peace and security, then sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. But you are not in darkness, brothers, for that day to surprise you 
uh, brothers, for that day to surprise you like a thief. So the Thessalonians, are, are, they could be thinking, did the rapture happen? What Paul stated in the first letter to us, what he's taught us, has it happened? I remember when I first became a Christian, uh, I was 17. And uh, of course, as any high schooler that becomes a Christian, you immediately read Revelations because why not? And I remember learning about the rapture and, and what that meant. And, and uh, you know, a few months later, uh, the Left Behind movie came out and scarred everyone. I'm kidding, not scarred, but uh, it has that scene where everyone just kind of disappears uh, on the airplane. And I remember I was at... Um, I was at a house, uh, my wife's house, uh, we weren't married at the time, but uh, her house, uh, and these were like the most godly Christian people I've ever known in my life, uh, the Lubert family, and uh, she had four sisters, they were there, the mom, the dad, like everyone, like these are the most Christian people I know in my life, and I remember we're all like talking in the living room, and we're like having like a great time, and I go to the restroom, and then I come out, and like everyone's gone. And there's like no one in the house. I'm like freaking out. Like, I'm like, did the rapture happen? Like, oh my gosh, like I'm two months into, uh, you know, this Christian thing. Uh, it really freaked me out. They went outside into the backyard and were having like, uh, you know, tea and stuff like that. But it kind of like scarred me for, for a few, few years there. That's probably why I gave my life to the Lord like 10 times after that because of being uh, fearful of the rapture. But that might be what's going on here. They're in the last days. They think they're in the last days, uh, and they are afraid that the rapture has happened and they are left behind. Or the second thought of what is happening here and why Paul is writing this is that they are just scared and confused, and they think that they are in the end before God's wrath due to the increase in persecution and violence towards them. I mean, I kind of understand this would be a scary time to be in right now. Seeing loved ones beaten and persecuted, having violence intensify every single day, not even knowing what tomorrow brings. I kind of understand. I mean, even for us, right? One would argue that we are living in pretty scary times. Like, have you even watched the news lately? Like, it's hard for me to watch the news. If you turn on the news tonight, you're going to see that there's murder and there's fires and there's child abuse and kidnapping and human trafficking and so on and so on. I mean, look at the chaos just from last year with, with politics and COVID and everything else. It's frightening when you feel like the world around you and the world that you live in is falling apart. When we, when you and I, we see and hear things, um, we start to, to let fear and chaos and panic and everything else start to cause us, it causes us to doubt and to question things that we already know to be true and what we believe in and what we trust our faith in. Here, Paul, although frustrated that these rumors have been spread, causing fear and causing them to panic, using his name, he's going to reinsure and spend some time to do a little quick summary of his past teachings. He's going to reinsure and comfort them a little bit. Paul's goal here is to not give a detailed timetable of the end times, uh, but to give peace and comfort to Christ's followers and to remind them that God is sovereign. He is sovereign. He's in full control of all evil things, of all evil events and evil rulers. And truth be told, sometimes we need to go back to what we already know to be true. We need to go back and not allow our emotions 
to lead us into panic and fear. I think it's important to remember that Jesus never brings panic or fear. Jesus never brings panic or fear. The return of Jesus should never cause fear and a loss of hope, but should build confidence and encourage and strengthen us. So moving on to uh, the next section of verses here. Verse 3 says this, Let no one deceive you in any way, for that day will not come unless the rebellion comes first. And the man of lawlessness is revealed, the son of destruction, who opposes and exalts himself against every so-called God or object of worship, so that he takes his seat in the temple of God, proclaiming himself to be God. Do you not remember that when I was still with you, I told you these things? So again, we see in this passage that Paul's already told them uh, about all of this stuff, but he's kind of reassuring them. Uh, Paul insists here that they can be assured that the day of the Lord, the rapture hasn't happened yet, the day of the Lord hasn't happened yet, because certain events have not happened or taken place yet. Uh, Two things have to happen first. Two things have to happen first. The first one is, it says that the rebellion must occur. Rebellion must occur. That's the first thing. Uh, We call it the apostasy. And you might be thinking, well, what is apostasy? Well, I'm glad you asked. I'm going to tell you. The biblical definition of apostasy is an act of refusing to continue to follow, obey, or recognize a religious faith. It's going to be an all-out rebellion against God when the Antichrist appears. An all-out rebellion. So that's the first thing that has to happen. Paul is saying the first thing that has to happen is apostasy. It has to be a full rebellion towards God. The second thing that has to happen is that the man of lawlessness will be revealed. I told you that we would talk about what is and who is the law, the man of lawlessness. Paul says the man of lawlessness will be revealed. The man of lawlessness is the Antichrist. It's the son of destruction. It's the man of sin and so on and so on, a million different names. The Antichrist, the man of lawlessness, he would tell the world who he is. He uh, stating that he is God, and very specific events will happen during this reveal. It's called the abomination of desolation. There have been many predictions uh, of so-called Antichrist in history. Uh, first off, anyone that is anti-Christ, anti-Jesus is an Antichrist. But more specifically, people that believe that certain people were the Antichrist, uh, and you've heard them, uh, some of the possible ones were, were Nero, uh, Napoleon, uh, some thought uh, that Hitler was the Antichrist, uh, uh, but then God said, no, not now, and, and whatnot. Uh, honestly, any U.S. president that we've ever had, people have thought that they were the Antichrist. But there will be one final Antichrist. Uh, he will be the final personification of evil. He will be the enemy of the people of God, and he will lead that rebellion. He will lead that apostasy. The man of lawlessness, it's interesting, is sprinkled all through the Old Testament and New Testament in in, uh, prophecies. Uh, Some events of the Antichrist, we talked about the abomination of desolation, is actually mentioned three times in the book of Daniel. uh, In chapters 9 through 12, we don't have time to kind of go into that, but it's an interesting study if uh, if you want to do that. Daniel chapters 9 through 12 talks about the abomination of desolation. Uh, Jesus states in Matthew chapter 24, verses 15 and 16, it says, Jesus says, 
so when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by the prophet Daniel, standing in the holy place, let the reader understand, then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. In Revelations chapter 13, verses 13 through 14, uh, talking about the Antichrist and the false prophet. Verse 13 says, It performs great signs, even making fire come down from heaven to earth in front of people. And by the signs that it is allowed to work in the presence of the beast, it deceives those who dwell on earth, telling them to make an image for the beast that was wounded by the sword and yet lived." Now, there is some debate of when this man of sin, the abomination of desolation, when that's going to happen, uh, when it shows up on the scene. Some people think it's going to be in the beginning of the tribulation. Some people think it's going to be the middle or the very end of the tribulation. Definitely a room for varying convictions on this. But in this text, we know that Paul is saying that it hasn't happened yet. So, moving on to the next few verses here. In verse 6, we See, Paul continues, and he says, And you know what is restraining him, him being the man of lawlessness, what is restraining him now so that he may be revealed in his time. For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains it will do so until he is out of the way. So again, uh, an interesting couple of verses here, and we got to do our best to, to lean into the Spirit and kind of discern what's going on here and, and, and look at different references. But here, we see that there are two different he's. We have the restrainer, okay, the restrainer, and we have the man of lawlessness. And we've already talked about the man of lawlessness, so we know who that is. Uh, it's an interesting verse here. Uh, one question that you might have is, okay, uh, why is he restraining him? Whoever this person is or this being is, why is, there, uh, uh, why is he restraining him? The man of lawlessness, the Antichrist, cannot be revealed until the one restraining him is out of the way. So there's a holding place. There's a restraint going on. Uh, another question you might be asking, well, who is the restrainer? Uh, Paul states here, it's interesting, Paul states here that you know, speaking to the Thessalonians, he says, you know, what is restraining him? Meaning that Paul actually already told these people who the restrainer is, but he doesn't say in the second letter. He doesn't say here. Over time, as you can imagine, there's been much study and interpretation in who or what the restrainer is, and most popular suggestions are these following. Uh, the first one is that the restrainer is uh, the preaching of the gospel. The preaching of the gospel. So as long as here on earth, as the gospel is being preached, the word of God being preached, uh, once it's gone, the restrainer is off. Uh, the second, uh, most, uh, second suggestion is that it's the Jewish state, uh, Israel. Uh, the Jewish state is what is restraining uh, the man of lawlessness. Uh, another suggestion is that it's the church. It's us. It's Christians. Um, Another one is that it's actually the human government. Now, that might be an interesting one or an odd one, but uh, 
they say, you know, scholars say that there's enough morality to keep things from becoming a total rebellion against God. Uh, as of now, we still have freedom of speech and church and whatnot. Um, another suggestion that the restrainer is just the principle of morality, understanding what is ethical, right? Uh, why is murder wrong? Uh, why is stealing wrong? And uh, already, uh, not to get too political or, or into that direction, but we already started in the sea kind of you know, those things are starting to become blurred uh, when we look at what's going on in our world. Uh, John MacArthur makes a good point that the big argument against these suggestions are that human forces deal with human issues. Human forces can't deal with supernatural. So for this reason, the argument could be that it can't, uh, the argument is that it can't be an earthly power. It cannot be an earthly power being the restrainer. So the most common belief of who the restrainer is, you probably have already guessed and you probably already have figured it out, many scholars believe that the one restraining the man of lawlessness is the Holy Spirit. That is the most popular and the most likely to do so. Uh, it is supernatural versus supernatural. Obviously, the Holy Spirit being part of the Trinity has the power to do so, restraining the Antichrist until it is his time. Passages in the Bible have the Spirit, have the Holy Spirit dealing with sin. Uh, in Genesis chapter 6, verse 3, Then the Lord said, My spirit shall not abide in man forever. So that is one of the popular thoughts is that it's the Holy Spirit itself restraining the Antichrist, the man of lawlessness. Or the other suggestion is that it could be the Holy Spirit at work in us, in Christ's followers. If we, walk with me through this, if we perhaps, the Christians are removed out of this world, if the church is removed by a rapture, the rapture of the church, what Paul states in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, if the church, if the Christians are removed out of this world, there is no more salt and light. There's no more salt and light. Jesus says that you are the salt of the earth and the light of the world. If that is removed, the Christian voices are gone. There are no more voices saying that murder is wrong. There are no more voices saying that, that that is immoral and that is immoral and that is wrong. There are no more voices standing up preaching the truth. If all those voices are taken away, if you remove the salt and the light of the earth, the earth will be quickly destroyed without the restraining voices of Christ's followers through the Holy Spirit. But rest assured, Nothing will be surprising to God. God knows every single thing. It's God's timeline. It's not Satan's timeline. It's not the Antichrist's timeline. It's not the world's timeline. It's God's timeline. Either the restraint of the Holy Spirit itself or the Holy Spirit through us, nothing is going to surprise God. Whoever God chooses or has chosen to be the restrainer Nothing is going to fool him. Nothing fools him. God is in full control and knows the timeline of the end of the days. And I think that's an important reminder for us. I think sometimes we can feel that God has turned his back of this road, that God doesn't know or care what is going on. And that couldn't be further from the truth. God knows exactly what's going on. Scripture says that God places the kings in position. God says that he knows how many hairs are on our head. God knows who's going to win the 2024 election. He knows when my last breath will be or your last breath will be. Don't forget who is in control. So 
going into the last passage here, verses 8 through 12. We're going to get some reinsurance here. Verse 8 says this, And then the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord Jesus will kill with the breath of his mouth and bring to nothing by the appearance of his coming. The coming of the lawless one is by the activity of Satan with all power and false signs and wonders and with all wicked deception for those who are perishing because they refuse to love the truth and so be saved. Therefore, God sends them a strong delusion so that they may believe what is false in order that all may be condemned who did not believe the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness. So Paul is saying once the restrainer is done restraining, the lawless one will be revealed. And Paul states right away that, I love this, Paul just, like, states right away, oh yeah, and by the way, he will die. Like Jesus will like breathe on him and completely uh, destroy him, kill him. Um, the Antichrist will have a coming just like Jesus will. Uh, but this will be nothing like the coming of Christ. The Antichrist will have power, and he will be able to do signs and wonders and gain world power. We know that based on revelations and the other prophecies. Uh, And this is power that comes from Satan. And again, this is not going to fool God. God knows exactly what's going to happen. The Antichrist will be able to do signs and miracles just like Jesus did, and he's going to be able to make people believe that he is God based on these uh, miracles and signs and the things that he's able to do. Revelation states that he will actually be healed from a fatal wound and that he will arise from the dead. He will rise just like Jesus' resurrection. He's going to do everything he can to try to mimic what Jesus did. And he's going to deceive the world. With the power from Satan, he, the Antichrist, he will lead the world into lawlessness, deception, and all-out rebellion against Christians and against Christ. We Christ followers, though, we will know by the Holy Spirit who this man is. I think there's a lot of fear sometimes that we're not going to know that we're going to actually take the mark of the beast by accident. We don't know who's, what's happening. No, the, rest assured, the Holy Spirit, if you are a Christ follower, you've accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you have the Holy Spirit in you. And he's going to give you that discernment. We're going to know exactly what's going on during this time. Verse 10, it says the perishing. In verse 10, These are the unbelievers that have failed to embrace in the gospel. They have rejected Jesus' mercy and forgiveness as their Lord and Savior over and over again. Due to the unbeliever's rejection of God's offer of salvation in his son, God is going to give them exactly what they want. What they want is to choose is what they want is to choose to go away from grace, love, and mercy from Jesus and ultimately them following the Antichrist. And I've learned through all these years of following Jesus is that even though he pursues us relentlessly, that he is constantly going after us, um, he's going to give us what we want. And he's going to honor that gift of free choice, free will. And uh, it's scary. We're going to see a lot of people at the end choose to go away from him. And he's going to end up giving them exactly what they want. If they don't want uh, Jesus, then they're going to have a life without Jesus. He'll end up giving the life that is absent of his love and mercy and grace and compassion. Uh, 
Pastor Scott last week spoke about eternity with, uh, without God and what hell is. And you take everything that God is and you remove it, hell is left. That is what hell is. You, if you remove love and life and grace and mercy and compassion and light and empathy and joy and kindness, man, you have a place that is left with emptiness and it's dark and terrifying. And the worst part is that his internal, his eternal absence for eternity and the actual judgment from God. We don't know what all that entails, but as you can imagine, just saying what I've said, it's going to be a horrific time. And my encouragement to us is that may we pursue him continuously and pray for our friends and families who do not know Christ, that we pray for those in our country in our world that has not accepted him as their savior. Reality is that there will be a day that judgment happens. It will be a terrifying day for those who did not know Jesus, but for those who have accepted him as our Lord and Savior, there will be a day that is filled with love and acceptance and rejoicing in his presence forever and ever. Now, I know that this isn't the most like, uplifting like, message. This isn't like the message that you're like, oh, I can't wait to talk about this at lunchtime. Uh, it's not the most like, encouraging. Uh, but as I stated in the beginning, some of the interpretations of Paul's words are debatable, but don't miss, don't miss the overall picture, which is clear. Jesus is coming back bodily in power and glory. And when he comes, He's going to win big time. Nothing fools him. This is his timetable. Revelation states that it will be an effortless win. Effortless win. But for us, what a reminder of what is to come. The reality is it's going to be a scary time for those in the end that do not know who Jesus is. But it will also most likely get really intense for us Christ followers as well. And as that day approaches, and each day we know that we're getting closer and closer to the end, this is not a time for us to take our faith casually. I think there's a few reminders for us, a few things that we, I would love for you to kind of leave with. The first one is this. We need to be in the Word. We need to be in the Word. We need to be in His Word. This helps, God's Word helps us to stand firm in knowing who God is and his character. Another thing is that we need to be sensitive and responsive uh, to the Spirit's nudges in our life. The Spirit will lead us, lead us daily if we let him lead us. Uh, It will lead us into this broken world. Uh, Another one is that we need to be connected to a church community. We need to be connected to a church community that can encourage us and hold us accountable. Uh, We need to be on guard against patterns of sin uh, that will threaten intimacy with God. There's nothing that Satan will love more than to be able to wedge himself between you and your relationship with Jesus. So we need to uh, be on guard against patterns of sin in our life. And another one is that we just need to be intentional in sharing about the rescue that Jesus offers. We need to be intentional about finding ways of leaning into the Holy Spirit of those who, that we work with, the family in our lives that don't know who Jesus is, and be bold and be bold and speak to them um, about Jesus' love and sacrifice for them. Let me pray. Well, Father, I know that this is and can be a heavy topic, 
Um, but Lord, I just pray that this is an encouragement to us, Lord, that we know that uh, you, you are not going to be fooled. You know exactly what's going on. And uh, I pray, Lord, that we find comfort in understanding that you, you are a good God and that Satan, the Antichrist, nothing that causes fear or panic in our lives will overthrow you, Lord. We thank you that you are a compassionate God and we are so thankful for who you are and we are so thankful for uh, what Jesus did on the cross um, for us, Lord. Uh, May we find ways this week to share the good news, to share the gospel to those in our lives, Lord. Um, And I pray, Lord, that uh, we find strength in your word and knowing uh, that you are in full control, Lord. Uh, We love you so, so much. It's your name we pray. Amen. tempest roar we cannot win this fight inside our
Well, it's been fun walking through scripture with you. And again, I know that wasn't like the most like fun message of all, uh, but man, what a reminder of how good our Lord is and how uh, nothing's going to fool him. And I just pray that you enjoy the last few days of summer and you have some sweet, sweet family time before school starts back. Take care.